Welcome. Thanks for tuning in this week. So glad you are here. If this is your first time, we want to say a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. And you could do us a favor by clicking on the digital connection card up here in the corner or leaving a comment here in the chat. You could leave your email address and a prayer request you might have, or if there's a question we might be able to answer, we're certainly glad you found us. And as we say, we certainly hope it's not your last time. So thanks for being part of this. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and are grateful too, are grateful too that you're here with us. And again, would invite you to use the same digital connection card or leave a comment in the chat if there's something we need to know or you have a prayer request. And we know some of you are traveling on summer vacation, and we're glad that you found time to include us in your weekend. As we come to worship today, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. I do want to share that this week I had an opportunity to uh, join our friends Mark and Gabe on their 801st episode of Mornings with Mark and Gabe on Heartfelt Radio. Our conversation centered around a recent Barna group survey on just what is going on with our young people today. And a reality that there is an openness with our young people, which is the Gen Z, which are those that are born between 1995 and 2012. And just the idea that they are very much open to spiritual ideas, but really closed and resistant to being part of the institutional church. I want to include you in the conversation. There's a link here in our worship notes that will take you to the full podcast. And I hope you'll be encouraged by it. It's a lot of uncertainty yet as we continue to lean into this new season, but also some encouragement as we understand that our young people are hungry for community and hungry for an opportunity to learn more about Jesus and connect in their faith. We are in our second week here on this series called Unhindered, and it is a series where we're going to be looking at the book of Acts and talking about the early church, but also realizing that that book that was written so many years ago is actually very much written for us here today. You remember last week as we dived into this, we went to the very last verse in the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31 together, where Luke says, Now Paul stayed two full years in his own rented lodging and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. And what I want to say as I ended last week is to be reminded this is not about our stamina as people. It's not about our grit being able to do hard work. It's not about how long we can persevere. It really is the simple idea of opening our eyes to see how God is working very much right now in our culture and in our time. And to join him in that task, as Henry Blackaby would encourage us. Now, again, going back to this larger idea of what the book of Acts is all about, we know that it is the second gospel of uh, Luke. Uh, when we talk about it now in sort of modern academic terms, it's the Luke-Acts. It's this idea of reading Luke's understanding of what was going on. We're reminded that Luke was a Gentile. So there's certain things that he brings to bear in his understanding of the gospel and of the kingdom and of what Jesus is doing. Now, it begins with the ascension of Jesus, and it ends with Paul under house arrest writing his prison epistles to you know, Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. And as we look at this book, we need to be reminded, too, that it's also a story of the handful of disciples who turn the world upside down. And we gather here even online today because of their good work. It's an incredibly amazing tale, if you will. It's an epic tale of all sorts. 
But it also is this idea of reminding us as we continue to lean into what God is doing in this season to be reminded that we are unhindered. Even if we were like Paul in prison where we're on house arrest, that we do have abilities to do things for the kingdom and to advance what God would have us advance to bring about the hope that he wants to see in our world. So let me ask you a question as we begin. What does it look like for us today in this season, this year, 2023, to participate in the kingdom of God by being his witness or by being messengers for Jesus? Well, again, drawing on some insights from the Barna survey group, here's a video I want to share of where they asked the question of teens around the world, how they relate to Jesus. I need you to reach out to me and build a relationship with me and then start to mentor me through your own life experiences, helping me through mine, um, sharing with me your faith journey, and then uh, using that to guide me through mine. For the adults in my life, I would really want a mentorship where they really take you under their wing and they teach you what they've learned about God and their knowledge of God, how they've encountered the Holy Spirit, how they talk to God, how they interact with God. I'd really like that, like more of a mentorship there. I want other generation to know about my generation is that we are hungry to know the truth. And like with that, I think we need discipleship from other generations. We need you to set an example of how to actively live in faith. I need you to believe in me. I need you to know that I can make the difference now and uh, not later in 20 years. We want you to understand us and we want you to spend time with us because we are sensitive beings. We, as I know my generation, we, we want, we are, we overthink and we just want someone beside us to reassure us every single time of our lives. And we want, uh, we want God to use you in our lives. I need you to get closer to us, um, to share experiences, to learn from each other, because I know there's so much to work on that. And I want us to close the gap that it has been for a long time about the old people and the young people that they are like two different communities but no we are just one and we need to close it so what i ask you or what i beg you what i need from you is that get closer to us and share experiences share what we we've learned from god and there will be the the united church that god has always wanted for us to be so let's think about that, the words that these young people shared from all around the world. You see, there's a hunger there, a sense of wanting more. And as, again, as the survey from Barna talks about, that there is an openness to Jesus, that that's not the problem, that really what the problem is is our modern understanding of what church is, particularly the institutional church. And as the survey points out, and there's a link here to the worship notes to the fuller understanding of it on the Barna website, it is this idea that there is a dichotomy between how people perceive Jesus versus how they view his followers and how it's played out in the institutional church. It doesn't take a lot of effort to just know how messy life has been, particularly in the institutional church. I just finished up a podcast series on all that's happened with Hillsong. 
the church that's in Australia and all the difficulties that they have faced. They at one time were the megachurch of megachurches, and it's clear that over the last number of years, they have been fraught with all sorts of scandal and all sorts of difficulties. And I think it's those things, as you think about even our series that we did a couple months ago on the whole idea of doubt, is it, it's when we look at how other people live out their faith that it becomes something that some people aren't quite sure what to do with. It really unsettles them. And so when we look at the study from the Barna Group, where they found that 70% of students in the Gen Z category, which again is those born from 1995 to 2012, that they have a deep belief in who God is, and that some 63%, according to Barnes, say that Jesus Christ is important to their lives. But what's interesting, only 37% of those students say they attend church regularly. And I guess that's the rub. And so it's helpful as we think about this idea of what the early church looked like, of leaning into going to the book of Acts and understanding what took place and what it is that God is asking us to be a part of today as he said he would build his church. And again, to give a a larger perspective as we think about this, this uh, book of Acts, the second gospel of Luke, and if you open your Bible, you know that there's the book of John that comes between these two books. Luke and Acts as books are not meant to be separate, that they're a two-volume collection, if you will. And why is that important as we understand this? Well, because when we separate them, what tends to happen is that we think of Acts as a book about the early church, and there's no real meaning for us today. And you know what? It is that. It is a book about the early church, but it's not only that. It's also painting a picture for how we're to see our lives today as God's people. It's also, too, a book about who Jesus is. So on one level, Acts is very much the story of the early church and how the first followers of Jesus created a movement that spread across the world. And as I said, we gather here even online because of that good work that took place some 2,000 years ago. And the reason that we're looking at this and even looking at this movement is because it does have an impact on us. We are indeed the, the modern extension of that very movement. And so what started with the disciples in the book of Acts has carried across the centuries, and we are now part of that. And I want to think, too, is trying to understand this current season, is that as different as things were nearly 2,000 years ago, I think this book can resonate with us because there are many parallels and connections between what these followers of Jesus experienced and what we are experiencing today, here today, right now, in 2023. And as I say on another level, Acts is a book about Jesus. And even though as we open the book of Acts, Jesus is going to depart in physical form, the narrative of the book of Acts, as New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, is all about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. And so Acts is a continuation of Luke, and it's the continuation of the story of Jesus Christ. I'd point you to our friends at the Bible Project, Tim Mackey and his team, and their video on the book of Acts. And in particular, there's this cool artist graphic here that you can download yourself too. There's a link to it here in the worship notes. Just to help better understand the telling of the story and to see how it all relates together. Now, I want to say too, there's a lot going on here. 
And again, there's a lot going on here in the book of Acts. Uh, there's a couple of details I want to remind us of. We mentioned them last week, but there's a couple of new ones I want to add to the list. First of all, the Apostle Paul in his many letters, he names Dr. Luke as one of his co-workers in his ministry. And that also, as we understand Luke's writing, it is a level that is has a, a literary sophistication. In fact, even though it's mapped out in chapters and verses, the academics tell us that you can take both Luke and Acts, and there are six movements in each one that mirror each one. And I'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. It's also interesting that in his writings, Luke also mentions many Old Testament references. And I guess he must have liked speeches because in the book of Acts, there are 32 of them. And the truth is, we know in the last third of the book of Acts, is that he enjoyed all sorts of crazy adventure. We learn of arrests and we learn of riots and narrow escapes, trials, and then we even learn about a shipwreck. And then also what's interesting when we look at his writings here is he gives special attention to mentioning uh, geography and places that we can identify with even today. And that, again, as I say, there is a highly structured and intentional layout to this book to help us understand what he's trying to teach us. So that's the book of Acts, and that's what we're going to dive into. So let's begin with the very first verse of chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, in this book of Acts, the opening statement from Luke returns to the very main theme in his previous volume, which is the Gospel of Luke, right? And that is this first thing called the kingdom of God. And that's a little bit what we talked about last week. The kingdom of God was the focus of what Jesus taught. He taught that the kingdom of God was at hand. It was a little bit mysterious, but here Luke gives us a couple of hints about what it meant. The first is resurrection. Luke was really clear to point out that Jesus proved himself to be alive. He's making a very clear thing here right up front. And so in the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus is presented as the central event in human history. And Luke believed this, and his friend Paul believed it too. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So this idea of the resurrection, this is a big deal. And what does the resurrected Jesus do? Luke says he is talking about the kingdom of God. So the message that Jesus talked about before his death is still what he's focused on after his resurrection. So obviously there's a connection here. New Testament scholar Tom Wright, who just finished up a week-long seminar on the book of Acts here in the States, he actually lives in the UK, who was here stateside to deliver a series of lectures based on the book of Acts. He says this, 
Jesus' risen body is the beginning of a heavenly reality which is fully at home on and in this physical world, earth, if you will, and the beginning of a transformed physical world which is fully at home in God's sphere, which is heaven. So what he's saying is that through the resurrected Jesus, heaven and earth collide. Two realms are beginning to intersect, and this, he argues, changes everything. And that's what brings us to our second point, is the Holy Spirit. And that's what Luke draws our attention to here, he is to the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his followers, and Jesus tells his followers that we need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so in this book of Acts, what we're going to see here is that for Luke, the heart of the church's mission is the movement of the Spirit. And it was by the Spirit that Jesus was conceived in the opening chapter of Luke's gospel. And the Spirit continued to play an integral role in his life and ministry. Now, as Jesus invites his followers, you and I, to join in on the action and participate in the work of the kingdom of God, it is by the Holy Spirit that we must be empowered. We can't do this on our own. And that's why two weeks ago we celebrated Pentecost to be reminded that it is the power of the Holy Spirit that equips us. And so that's a very cool thing because it means it's not based upon our own efforts. It's based upon what the Holy Spirit will do in and through us. So let's continue here and see what happens. Beginning with verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love this story of the disciples because it's just like they're little kids who are on a road trip basically saying, Are we there yet? And so after the death of Jesus followed by his resurrection, and then 40 days of amazing encounters back and forth with the disciples, the disciples are wondering when the revolution is going to take place. Basically like saying, are we there yet? Jesus, is it time? And we know, and I can almost see Jesus doing this, just shaking his head and said, nope, nope. Uh, here we go again. He tells them that they don't need to worry about that. And what they need to do is refocus their attention and so what the disciples were struggling with was they were thinking about a political and social revolution. But the risen Jesus, that's not what he is thinking about at all. In fact, he's redirecting their attention towards to what one commentary calls an alternative vision of the future. Again, so what does that look like? I want to focus on two things here that Luke mentions, and it's power and witness. In verse 8 he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's okay. This idea of power, what does that mean? In the New Testament, the word power is repeatedly used to identify the way in which people are empowered by God to participate in what he is doing, to, as Henry Blackaby says, join God in what he's doing. And here, that empowerment is clearly identified as a result of the Holy Spirit. 
But like our human minds tend to do, the disciples, they're all focused on something about power, and they're thinking political power. But immediately Jesus refocuses their mind to say, look, it's all about the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your power. So this then ties back into Luke's focus on this idea of resurrection. You see, resurrection equals death to life, and this life features the Spirit's power. And so we need to see that as we move through this. And so I think what the disciples really were looking for, and I have to be honest, even what I think all of us want, is authority, to be in charge, right? But it's interesting where it says here in verse 7, Jesus says that authority belongs to God. The power we receive through the Holy Spirit is established by God's authority, not ours, to be reminded that he's in control. Remember, that was one of the takeaways from our study of the book of Esther recently. And then secondarily, it's also this idea of witness. So the second thing that Jesus redirects their attention to is witness. Again, in verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, this is amazing and such a cool thing for us to understand because, you see, in those days, whenever a new king was put on the throne, they would send out heralds and messengers who went all throughout the land announcing the good news of the new king. And so Jesus, he tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to give them power which then allows them to participate in what God's doing. And their participation is to spread the word. They are his witnesses and his messengers of this good news of the fact that Jesus is king. So it all begins here in Jerusalem. That's where the first seven chapters of Acts take place. And then it moves to Judea, the surrounding area filled mostly with Jews. And then it moves to Samaria, which is the neighboring region filled with the hated half-breed Samaritans. Judea and Samaria, you see Judea and Samaria are the setting for Acts chapter 8 through chapter 12. And then where does this all go? Well, it goes to the end of the earth where Paul and his co-workers will begin to spread the good news beginning in Acts chapter 13 through the end of the book, which is chapter 28. And so it's interesting here that as soon as Jesus finishes this statement about power and witness, he ascends into heaven. And the ascension is described by Luke with, with amazing imagery from the Old Testament, particularly the book of Daniel. It is the enthronement of Jesus. The resurrected king who joins heaven and earth has taken his place on the throne. And his people are about to be empowered by the Spirit to take that message, that good news, out into the world. So, again, the disciples are saying, are we there yet? To which Jesus replies, don't worry about that. God is in control, and you have a job to do. Now get to it. Okay, so the book of Acts tells us the story of people, ordinary people, who are invited to participate in the continuing work of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I have to simply say this to point it out. That's you and me, that we have received this invitation to join him in that work. We are here, you and I, to continue the life and the work of what Jesus was doing and is doing. The resurrected king is now on the throne. And we, as his people, are empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit 
to carry this good news of his kingdom into our world, to offer all that it brings to those that are broken, those that are hurting, those that need his healing touch. And so as we look at this over these coming weeks, as we look at the book of Acts and understand what it means, that it all is unhindered, that there's nothing that should come between us, that it isn't really the idea of all of us seeing how God is working, even this idea of looking at how in the book of Esther, where God's name is not mentioned one time, how we see God's faithfulness and showing up in the details and how his people are restored then. And that same power is available to us today. So my question to you as we think about today and tomorrow and the weeks ahead, are you willing to lean into this common mission? Are you willing to join Jesus in this movement? Because you see, this this story of the book of Acts, this is the story of God's people. And it's also our story. It's our story today. So let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing reminder of the power that comes to us because of the Holy Spirit. As we look to your story of what you did in the early church, may we be encouraged to know that the same power that existed then is now available to us as your people. Help us lean into that and be present with that in all things as we share the hope of the good news with those around us. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.